alien spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the... 43rd annual subliminal deception podcast your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit my name is cody and i'm joined by my pal phil how are you doing good buddy how about yourself not too bad uh today was that one day of the year where it's like below freezer temperatures outside is uh, i think negative eight today with like a uh, nasty wind chill so uh i'm sure you remember what that feels like oh yeah walking to work Fucking uh, three blocks in that shit. I remember. <laughs> but uh, what I wanted to bring up on here, and actually deals with uh, the conspiracy world a little. So where where I work at, basically like two blo- two buildings down is the Amazon. I don't know what you call it, shipping center or something. I don't know. It's a humongous building, right? And yep. I'm sitting at the stoplight, and all of a sudden, here comes a fire truck and an ambulance. What do you know? They're heading right to the Amazon warehouse. And I was just like, mm, another one of Bezos' minions must have fell. I suppose they don't really care about, you know, you always hear rumors. They don't really care about uh, taking care of their employees or anything. So you got to wonder uh, what happened there. Yeah, there was probably a robot that fell on top of a couple of humans. And they're desperately trying to save the robot. <laughs> probably. <laughs> That'd be sweet if an electrician pulled up with them with a siren on their robotics company come to save the robot. We don't care about the human, though. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so what's new with but, you, Phil? Oh, nothing. Uh, been working. Fucking yeah. uh, back, back to the grind after the holidays. So uh, trying to get through the days. I've been listening to a lot of older podcasts, and uh, I'm basically starting to get everybody that I work with listening to podcasts now. One of uh, one of my buddies actually, he told me that he binged uh, four episodes of Murd Up today. So hell yeah, we he love, seems to like it. Well, we love Murd Up. They're our uh, podcasting brethren. Um, yep. You know what? In a job like you have, where you're basically kind of, uh, you know, I don't know, just working independently or wh- whatever. Why not listen to podcasts? That's, I mean, that's what I do all day. I listen to podcasts because I don't want to hear loud machinery and all that. Yeah, I do just wish that I could use headphones where I work. I basically have like a little speaker that I've bought uh, just to kind of listen to music or podcasts. Actually, the guy who works right next to me finally asked me what the hell I was listening to because he's like, I keep hearing this chick's voice like and I don't know where it's coming from. So <laughs> and I'm guessing that was Holly. Yeah, that was Holly. <laughs> I was uh, I was basically in like a three day like podcast binge at that point so you didn't tell him to tune in and uh, learn the truth uh from subliminal deception no i don't tell many people at work about this show so (laughs) there is there is a few people who know about it but most people don't yeah well anyway um what did we uh what do we got in the hot sheets this week phil well it was a pretty light uh national inquirer they're apparently doing their new year's edition so Okay. This one is called Cage's Four-Day Bride Busted in Scrape with Cops. Okay, so what's this one about? So Nicholas Cage's four-day bride is facing serious charges <laughs> after allegedly attacking a California cop. Oh, you can't do that. Yeah. Eric Koki, I definitely butchered that name, but she doesn't matter, who the Con Air actor divorced last year shortly after their boozy Vegas wedding was charged with assault and battery and resisting arrest following an altercation with an officer outside the Hollywood Burbank Airport on August 31st. And this was according to court documents. So here's my real question. Do they realize that Nicolas Cage has been in quite a few other movies besides Con Air? I would say maybe better movies than Con Air. It's funny they just said Con Air actor. 
Yeah, maybe that's like his most famous movie. Uh, I actually like The Rock. That was a great movie. That is not a, a lot good of people movie. liked it, but uh, Face Off. Oh, Face, Face Off. That Off. was a good one too. Uh, his, his, his better days were very behind him. What's the uh, What's the car stealing movie? Ooh, Gone in sixty seconds. I actually like that one too. That was a good one. Yeah, I the like uh, the horror fans out there um, probably love Mandy. Which is his, I think, almost his last movie he did last year, which uh, got a shitload of praise. He actually, I saw the previews when I was going to Star Wars. It was for, uh, what the hell was it? It was another horror movie that he's doing, but it's like about aliens and this purple light and stuff. It looked kind of neat, actually. I think I may have seen a preview for that on YouTube. It looks pretty. I'll have to look out for that one. It looks sweet, but I'm kind of afraid it might be too much of a artsy fartsy movie and not like a good story to it. But you know what? I'll probably watch it anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he's the only paid actor in that movie. So, <laughs> so finishing this off quick, it reports that Erica had previously been arrested in 2006 on charges of domestic violence on her then husband, but the case had been dropped due to lack of evidence. So in 2016, Erica's neighbor sued her for assault and battery after she allegedly punched the woman in the face in their apartment complex parking lot. But the lawsuit was dismissed. So she is a class act, apparently. (laughs) Wait, so within their four days of marriage, she managed to beat him and get a restraining order on him? Oh, no, this was all 2016. 2014. Oh, I thought you were saying she did that against Nick Cage in the short time they're no, married, no. but I see what you're saying now. I was <laughs> that like, would be Jesus. a hell of a story, but no, these are all her previous rap sheets. Ah, well, I'm guessing if he was wasted and married her in Vegas or whatever real quick, she probably didn't realize any of He's probably just like, man, this girl likes to party. Yeah, he did end up getting the marriage annulled because he claimed that he was way too drunk to make any like decisions when he <laughs> married her so apparently they had been dating for a few months before that that's just such a nick cage thing to do just get yeah, plastered definitely. and end up marrying someone in vegas uh i think yeah. during that when he got married that night or whatever it's a picture of him and someone you wouldn't imagine him hanging out with in vegas just shit face i can't remember who it is but uh, i think there's pictures of it it's kind of kind of funny yeah, so basically the little story in the Enquirer ends by listing all of his previous wives. So apparently oh. before he'd been married to Patricia Arquette, some Marie Presley, and Alice Kim, who's the mother of his 14-year-old son, whose name is Cal L. Coppola. Ah, okay. I bet which that's... Which is uh, Superman's real name. Really? Huh, that's cool. Yeah. I wonder if that's the one, his son, who's in the, the uh, death metal band. One of his kids is in a death metal band. I, I, I don't remember which one. Does he? No, he has to have more than just one. Oh, yeah, he must. But anyway, um, Phil, why don't you take the reins and uh, let's dive into today's subject. I don't know what it is, but I'm, uh, I'm very excited to hear it. So... Mine today is actually kind of a little bit like the uh, the CIA two-parter that I did. I actually found some of the information while looking that up. Have you ever heard of the Operation Cointelpro? Uh, I cannot. I Cointelpro? Yep, all one word. Huh. No, I don't know. The first thing that came to my mind was like those uh, change machines you see in Walmart, but I have a feeling that's not what this is about. Yeah, most definitely not. So it's actually a uh, cut-up of counterintelligence program. Okay, all right. This could be pretty sweet then. On March 8th, 1971, while the world was watching what was dubbed as the fight of the century, pitting Joe Frazier against Muhammad Ali, a little-known group of activists formed in Philadelphia from faculty members of the Haverford College and Temple University enacted their plan to break into the office of the FBI in the town of Media, Pennsylvania. Doesn't sound like a great idea. Yeah, no. So they were actually hoping to use the must-see boxing match as a cover for their covert operation, hoping that the guards would be distracted by the fight. (laughs) Do they allow the guards that pay-per-view? 
I don't know. I actually don't know if there was pay-per-view back in 1971. I don't think so. You know what? what's funny, actually, now that uh, I bring that up? I was listening to uh, Small Town Murder today, and they were kind of talking about how, I think it was pay-per-view, how it started or whatever. They actually started it in the Midwest to see if it would work, and then obviously uh, they learned how it blew up and whatnot. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I remember hearing that the first WrestleManias were actually, like, shown in movie theaters before pay-per-view actually started. Huh. Maybe that. Yeah. Maybe this fight was just on, like, regular TV or whatever. Could have been. I imagine it was mostly watched in bars, mm. that situation. Can you, can you imagine, like, say that big fight that's coming up between, like, McGregor and that cowboy guy? Like, if yeah. you didn't have to pay $800 to watch it? You could just watch oh, it on TV. Just turn it to CBS and watch it there. Yeah. <sighs> Next thing you know, they're going to be putting the fucking football on pay-per-view. Are they going to be putting goddamn college bowls on uh, on pay-per-view? Just wait. Yeah. Well, we already have to pay for the special channels. So True, true. So the group was called the Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI. <laughs> and they were breaking into the FBI office, trying to steal documents that would shine a light on the Bureau's efforts to set back the anti-war effort. Now, the burglars made off with a huge amount of stolen papers, over 1,000 classified documents, and made illegal copies of the papers and sent them to elected members of government and to various media outlets. Oh, wow. Jeez, so they were not protecting this very well. No, they were extremely successful in their endeavors. Wow, okay. This, this small group. So most of the members of Congress and media outlets, including the New York Times and Senator George McGovern, worried about being implemented in the theft of stolen classified documents, and they sent the copies directly to the FBI. But the Washington Post, after verifying the validity of the documents, ran a front-page story regarding the classified information on March 28th, 1971. So um, all this information is strange. Like basically about the uh, them quelling anti-war protesters or whatever. Well, that's all that they wanted to find out. But it turned out they found out a shit ton more than they expected because Uh they were so successful. So what the documents revealed was a covert operation to disrupt members of many different groups that the FBI considered subversive, including groups and organizations associated with the labor movement, animal rights, feminists civil rights, the Black Power Movement, independent movements for Puerto Rico and other territories, and the anti-war organizations that these small group who broke in belong to. But of course, also, you can probably guess it, communists. Ah, yeah, they don't like those guys. They don't yeah, like them at all. Not. <laughs> that yeah. was... That was probably like 995 pages of those thousand pages was like, stop the communists. Oh, yeah, it was definitely uh, a big part of it. I mean, not as much in 1971, but you'll find out when this started, it was definitely about the communists. What if they, uh, when they were going in there stealing it, they found like uh, J. Edgar Hoover's uh, like wardrobe of all the dresses and stuff? Didn't you say he oh. liked to wear dresses? I think that was, uh, I actually tried to look up that a little bit too. I think that was just a rumor, but <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know for sure he was a weird dude. Like there are stories that he definitely like lived with his mom and didn't, you know, have yeah. many friends. Well, so. yeah, I, I've heard he's, he wasn't the nicest guy. You know, you can dress however you want to dress, but I've heard he was not a nice feller. Yeah. Well, there was definitely probably some health self-hate there because uh, he definitely did not like people who were different so no he didn't no the operation was codenamed cointel pro and that was taken from counterintelligence program which is pretty fucking bland if you ask me yeah but i was gonna say they're not really uh hiding it very well not really spicing it up well this <laughs> was a very hidden program but yeah wasn't uh didn't have the best name to it they they definitely carl rove was not a part of it <laughs> Well, they, they usually name them after, like, office supplies, so I'm kind of surprised they didn't do, like, uh, what is it, like, Operation Number 2 Pencil or something. Whatever was sitting in front of them at the time. <laughs> 
Operation Three Piece Suit. <laughs> there you go. Operation Who Hoover's uh, Ladies Lingerie Magazine. There you go. <laughs> so it began in August 1956 in an effort to disrupt the actions of the Communist Party of the United States of America, or CPUSA. And it was created by order of J. Edgar Hoover. Ah, there he is. Definitely. So Hoover believed that after passing of the Communist Control Act of 1954, he had all the permission that he needed to disrupt and infiltrate the Communist Party of America because of his beliefs that the party was a peril to the United States of America. I, You know, this is the one thing, like, obviously we in America are – terrified of communists and all that but it's like did they really think they were going to get enough power to take over well that's what they they worry about just this little seed of it growing into a giant fucking oak tree that's the whole thing like communists in russia during world war one communist was a very small small party but then something bad happens and it just blows the fuck up that's definitely what they're worried about yeah, I suppose that's right. But I mean, they they did have like forces and stuff. You know what I mean? It wasn't just a bunch of people uh, picketing with signs outside of a building. But I guess that can grow into something much larger. Yeah. So the CPUSA definitely was not very large, but they were worried about it combining with other groups and growing. I mean, that's true. Yeah. So the Communist Control Act stripped the CPUSA of the normal rights that were granted to political parties in the United States. So because of this act being passed, J. Edgar Hoover believed that he could totally fuck them over. I mean, that sounds like, isn't that a fucking amendment, right? You can believe whatever you want. Yeah, pretty much a group that's like the CPUSA really should have all of the rights and privileges that all groups have under, you know, the basic rights that people in America have. But since they were communists in the 1950s, they got stripped of all that power. I there, rights. There's one thing, like, obviously they should have all the rights unless there's some sort of, like, violent something or another attached to it or whatever. Um, and obviously I know very well, as you even mentioned, that in the early 1900s, the communists and anarchists were causing havoc bombing and doing all that shit but in the 50s where i don't think they were still really blowing shit up were they and all that not really blowing shit up but you got to remember the real terror was coming from like mccarthyism like uh, being told that like the reds were coming to get you they yeah. were living under your floorboards and gonna fucking stab your feet you well know? well all if that. i were if i remember right from like history class or whatever um this kind of all sprouted because of the fear of Russian spies infiltrating the government, right? Oh yeah, definitely. They were they were worried about them infiltrating government, uh, like American systems, like education. You know, all of the little like FBI, CIA, uh, all of those little groups. They were worried about base level being infiltrated. But I, what I'm saying is, I could see them because I'm pretty sure in the 50s they caught. One of the spies was like a senator or something. I, I feel like I remember that. Like I could see them finding out spies or catching spies and then it just kind of evolved into, well, we can't have spies so we can't definitely can't have communist groups and all that. You know, it just kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Well, there definitely were spies. I mean, that is how the Russians got the atomic bomb was through their spies. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, that was a pretty big deal. When Damn. they uh, when they found that out, do you remember that Ryan Phillippe movie? I think it was based on a true story. The guy, like he, everybody loved him. He was like the most stand up guy, and this Ryan Phillippe guy was like his apprentice, and he slowly began to learn that he was a Russian spy, um, and then obviously got revealed. Do was you... it the Manchurian Candidate? No, no, this was. Uh, this is kind of an under-the-radar movie, but I, I definitely remember watching it. I feel like it was based off uh, real events that happened. I, I, I'll have to – we'll have to look it up or something. Like a sleeper agent. Yeah, basically. He was a Russian spy, but he was so ingrained in the U.S. government, like nobody had any idea. And then when he, he got this assistant or whatever, 
he accidentally like stumbled on the information that he was a Russian spy. Huh. No, I've never seen it. <clears throat> it's pretty good. Yeah. So William C. Sullivan was the agent put in charge of Cointelpro, and Hoover's instruction for the operation were to expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, or otherwise neutralize members of the subversive groups and their leaders. Mm, so the FBI would send in infiltration agents to disrupt meetings, sow discord, and attempt to split the party apart with contentious debate. Uh, so some of this was Khrushchev's recent announcement of Joseph Stalin, which a lot of uh, the communist people in the United States really like Joseph Stalin, uh, and also the Hungarian invasion by the Soviets, which was a major source of contention amongst the communists in the United States. Okay. All right. I could see that. You know what I was thinking was kind of funny in his, well, two points here. First, when you're reading off like what he's telling them to do, I feel like there's a very undercurrent of, I'm not telling you to commit violence against them, but uh, it doesn't really matter if you do. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, he used the word neutralize. Like, uh, I was going to say that, especially that last thing, or (laughs) otherwise neutralize. Like, however you want to, you know, do that. I I was thinking, too, like, they're dressing FBI agents up like college kids. They're like... All right, Agent Thomas, show me your hacky sack skills. It's like, damn it, you can only bounce it twice. You're never going to do. Get Williams in here. Let's see if he's any better. There's like 43 year old dude with a mustache, like just fucking wandering into a party. <laughs> he's just like, hey, guys, I've got this marijuana cigarette. And I'm going to break the law by smoking it. He's like, get and you out know of here. who I love? Joseph Stalin. Anyone else love Joseph Stalin? <laughs> Old Joe Stalin. He is my favorite. I call him Joe because we're good buddies. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So the FBI also used the IRS to audit certain party members. Uh, they would also do other things like spread rumors about members of the Communist Party being the actual government informants and even outed party members to their family and friends just to like further fuck with group members and leaders. I feel like I've definitely heard of uh, them doing shit like that, you know, like really slight shit like that. That's just enough to get a seed planted to kind of like dismantle them. Yeah, definitely. So the FBI ran nearly 1,400 documented operations against the CPUSA under Cointelpro, and this caused party membership to plummet. So CPUSA membership in 1957 was at about 3,000, and that was down from about 22,000 in the early 1950s. So from 22,000, it dropped all the way to 3,000. Jesus, and they think... This is primarily because of this operation. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was definitely because of the work that the FBI did. Wow. Oh, by the way, quick note. The movie I was talking about is called uh, Breach. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to watch that. Yeah, check it out. If you have a Hulu subscription, it's on there. Oh, it's on Hulu? Okay. Yeah. But anyway. What What year was it from? 2007. Oh, so it's recent. Okay. Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember renting it and watching it. It's just kind of a random thing, but it actually wasn't too bad. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. So methods used during Cointelpro were, I have a little list of them. Uh, they would infiltrate the organizations and the memberships, like circles, psychological warfare. And examples of this are spreading misinformation, setting up fake movement groups ran by federal agents, They would spread rumors about party members. Uh, This was an effort to fracture the groups. They would use harassment through the police and legal system. They would use illegal use of force, which involved break-ins, vandalisms, assaults, and assassinations. And they would also, most importantly about these organizations, try to harm public opinion of the members and the leaders. So they would try to turn the public against these groups. So... In the records they found, did they actually, like, find documentation about them officially killing somebody, like, assassinating somebody? Well, it's never, I didn't really find any, like, official FBI person, like, actually going and assassinating someone. 
Okay, but you're just saying that. I do have a lot of like examples. Gotcha. Okay. I see. And just- a lot of a lot of the killings were basically like the FBI would help local law enforcement like with information and then they would send them in too. It was ah, also that. So they create like another layer between them for the blame more or less. Yeah, definitely. They would always shield themselves. So I think technically that's what the FBI is supposed to do. If it's not a federal crime, is like assist law enforcement. So I could definitely see them having enough power to do stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So the FBI under Hoover expanded their aim to civil rights groups shortly after COINTELPRO was started. And Hoover really perceived the civil rights groups as being infiltrated by the communists. So he wasn't worried about the civil rights part of it. He just thought it was a communist or the communists could be in there. Yeah. So basically a lot of the FBI, like a lot of the intelligence agencies were very like right wing and they really didn't like a lot of the left wing politics of a lot of these groups. So every time any left wing group would pop up, they would assume they were communists. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, that's a hell of a jump. Yeah. He also just really didn't like some of these individuals. (laughs) So the offices of the Southern Christian Leadership Council were broken into many times under this operation. Now, Hoover saw Martin Luther King Jr. as a reprehensible character, and he gave his agents permission. Basically, he told them to use imaginative and aggressive tactics against Martin Luther King and the SCLC. Okay. You know what's funny when you first started talking about uh, this little operation, um, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Speaking of Murdoch, they covered the guy who killed Martin Luther King. Yeah. And there's like a weird conspiracy that the FBI was involved. And now you've really tickled my interest here. Yeah. So definitely there is a lot of conspiracy that the FBI was involved with Martin Luther King's death. So I didn't really mention this before, but Martin Luther King was uh, the leader of the Southern Christian Leadership Council. Cointelpro operation actually like really went after Martin Luther King Jr. So his office and hotel rooms were bugged, phone conversations recorded, and he was put under near constant surveillance. So was he afraid that he was a communist or he just thought that he was kind of the head of the snake for the rest of civil rights? Well, I did. Uh, I wasn't really going to say much about this part but hoover really was looking out for kind of like a messiah like figure that he was worried would like lead the black population or like the non-majority population lead them all to this like revolution or civil war so he was really looking out for this like charismatic leader and he thought that he kind of like found it in martin luther king Jr. oh okay that okay that that makes sense then yeah, so, I mean, Hoover really didn't like him for many different reasons, but that was one of them. He was always kind of looking out for this character, though. Okay, okay, I got I see what you're saying. Then. Yeah, so the agency even went as far as to send an audio recording of King having an affair to his wife, along with a letter urging the civil rights leader to commit suicide. Jesus, okay, that's dark. Yeah, that's uh, they're going pretty far here. But <laughs> Hoover did give them permission to use imaginative and aggressive tactics. So that's I, pretty fucking imaginative and pr- fucking aggressive. I mean, I don't, I don't want to disparage his name, but was is it confirmed at all that he was having an affair and they just knew about it, or is it just they're just making that up? No, they totally had the audio recordings of. Him. Okay, I got you. They, they sent the audio recordings and the letter to his wife. So okay, I got you. I always kind of wondered that if like, but I suppose if you send an audio recording, it'd be kind of hard to like fake that. What is it going to be? Two agents moaning in the background, be like, "This is Martin Luther King having an affair," <laughs> <laughs> and then some dude trying to sound like a chick. Yeah, yeah, you are definitely Martin Luther King. <laughs> <laughs> They're in like a recording studio. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this letter was sent anonymously on November 21st, 1964. And this was just two days after it was announced 
that King would be receiving the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. Okay. I'm sure that made Hoover very nervous. Yeah. And uh, the given time frame for Martin Luther King Jr. to kill himself uh, was to expire before King would accept this award. So the letter threatened to release the recordings if King didn't give in to the demands. Okay. Well, obviously they didn't release them then. Well, they actually did do kind of like a media camp. I'm just going to read a little bit uh, from this letter. Okay. Just the end part. So the ending, there's a, it's like a page long letter, uh, basically detailing to him. It's, it's kind of meant to be, it's almost like it was written by one of his supporters who's like turning against him, uh, kind of like the tone of the letter. But the, the end of it goes, King, there is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days in which to do, in parentheses, this except number has been selected for a specific reason. It has definite practical significance. You are done. There is but one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. Jesus. Okay. Yeah, so very, very fucking uh, threatening letter. (laughs) But it's not directly telling him to kill himself, but it's like insinuating that. Yeah, it's definitely insinuating for him to suicide. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's just very angry, like, words. It's, like, the first part of it says that they no- they don't want to call him Mr., Doctor, or Reverend, because he doesn't deserve any of those titles. And they don't like his last name being King, because they don't think he's uh, a good leader. So it's just very... Really fucking salty letter, yeah. basically, coming out They're of They're trying it. to demean him in every way possible. Yeah, definitely. So when he did not commit suicide, he actually did accept that award. Uh, the FBI associate director, Cartha D. Deloche, released the tapes to the media outlet. And the campaign to discredit and embarrass Martin Luther King Jr. went on into at least 1969. And that, of course, was one year after his assassination. So they were doing this after he was already dead, too. Yeah, they kept it up until after he was dead. Because they were worried about even, like, his martyr coming, Uh, you know, starting this little uh, uprising. Well, I can say this in hindsight. uh, I think it did the exact opposite of what they were hoping to do. Well, yeah, I mean... (laughs) You never hear anything about the, you always, when you hear about Martin Luther King, you only hear about the good things. You never hear about any of the bad stuff. So. No, no, that's very Definitely. true. I mean, there's yeah. a damn national holiday, you know, celebrating his, uh, is it his birthday or is it just Martin Luther King Day? I thought it was his birthday. I I was I was pretty sure it's his <sighs> birthday, but. I'm, I'm sure it is, but uh, anyway, continue. Yeah. So besides the. SCLC, the Nation of Islam, was also targeted by uh, the infiltration of the FBI, and this drove a rift between key figures, Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X. Okay, so, okay, I see. I was kind of like, who are they going after in the Nation of Islam? But then you said Malcolm X, and then now that makes complete sense. Yeah, if you ever watch the movie um, Ali with uh, Will Smith... There's a big thing in that about the rift between Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So the rift was actually to cause a destabilizing debate. And this was introduced to the Nation of Islam. And it was meant to separate Malcolm X from the organization. This rift led to Malcolm X's assassination on February 21st, 1965, while speaking to his own group, which was the... Afro-American Unity Group, and he was shot by members of the Nation of Islam. Oh, really? All because the uh, FBI basically set up tension between them. Yeah, so there was this rift set up, and then these members of the Nation of Islam, they don't actually ever admit that they were working for the Nation of Islam, but it kind of, they make it sound like they were working on their own. Gotcha. So, the, the men who eventually were arrested for the killing, Thomas Hagen, who went by the name Mujahidin Abdul Halim, Thomas Johnson, who went by the name Khalil Islam, and Norman Butler, who went by the name 
Muhammad Abd al-Aziz. Now, they all received 20 years to life, but were all released from prison eventually. And it's never been proven that the FBI actually had anything to do with the planning or the execution of Malcolm X's assassination. But there is obviously a lot of conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So do you think, I mean, obviously they got, I suppose you don't know how long of sentences they actually served. Oh, no. Yeah, I do. So I said they were all released. So they got 20 years to life. Um, Thomas Johnson actually got out in 1987. Muhammad Abd al-Aziz got out in 1985. Now, these men weren't captured at the scene. But Thomas Hagen, who I said his name was Mujahideen Abdul Halim, he was actually shot in the leg at the uh, speech. Malcolm X's supporters actually chased him down and beat the shit out of him till the cops got there. Then the cops arrested him. So he actually was in jail until 2010. Oh, damn. So, I mean, they at least served 20 years. Yeah, they at least all, they all at least served like most of their time, like the 20 years. Um, Norman Butler actually got out before the 20 year. But, but, but I feel like if they were FBI shills or whatever, um, that's a pretty raw deal where they're like, hey, you do this for us and you'll serve 20 years in prison, then be out. I think that's, I don't know, it doesn't seem like kind of a raw thing unless they had him on something else. Yeah, Thomas Hagen, actually, the weird thing, the last decade that he spent in prison, he only had to go to jail for two days a week. He actually got to go home and hang out with his family. Well, I mean, that how was, how that, old that was, was the he at that thing. point? Uh, to, in 2000, he would have been in his 50s, maybe 60s, I think. Wait, what year did Malcolm X get shot? Uh, February 21st, 1965. Um, He had to be at least 20, I'm assuming, at that point, so... And in the 2000s, he, yeah. he'd be like 60 almost. Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. 50s or 60s. But um, sometimes in prison, if you're so fucking old, I mean, I think when you're in prison, per- my personal opinion uh, from looking through all the true crime stuff, it seems like you age like double in prison. So even though he was like 50 to 60, I'm assuming he his body was more like... And eh, probably 90, so, uh, you know what I mean? Maybe it was just like a humanitarian thing that they let him out like that, maybe? Could be. I've heard that the healthcare is pretty bad in prison. Like, oh, if yeah. you're, uh, if one of your teeth starts to rot, instead of filling it in, they'll just rip it out. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. So, but, um, I don't know, what do you think? Do you think they were chills? Um, if anything, I think they were working for the Nation of Islam. Probably not directly by the FBI. Yeah, I think it's more likely that the FBI caused tension and then the violence kind of erupted on its own. Yeah, really, it just seems like it was a happy accident, FBI, uh, like in there, you know, because they, I doubt they ever expected Malcolm X to be shot by members of the Nation of Islam. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point, actually. What were they so mad at him about, do you know? Uh, the FBI or Malcolm X? or The Nation, Nation of, of Islam. Islam. Oh, it was just all of the the rifts that had been opened up by, I'm not really exactly sure what in particular these men were angry about him for, but. Well, I'm sure eventually one day we'll probably do just strictly Malcolm X uh, assassination or something. We'll go way deeper into that particular subject or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the reasons behind it. So we don't have to worry about it right now. Yeah, definitely. The NAACP which was a multiracial coalition using the legal system to fight against Jim Crow laws and systematic racism, was also targeted by COINTELPRO. And this was mostly because of their criticism of the FBI's hiring practices. Uh, Basically, they were against the FBI not hiring people of color or minorities. Ah, okay. Well, yeah, that's understandable. I mean... I don't know. Now that I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, it's probably was filled with nothing but white people at that time, huh? Yeah, I couldn't really find much that COINTELPRO or the FBI did to the NAACP, but they definitely um, like used their infiltration tactics and uh, some disruption. 
So okay, they were trying to they were trying to screw him up basically. Yeah, they didn't really do any of like the big stuff that they did to Nation of Islam or Martin Luther King. Well, I assume they didn't perceive him as as big of a threat as the other two so far. Yeah, definitely. They weren't worried about them using violence. They were mostly just using the justice system. Yeah, makes sense. So when it comes to the FBI worrying about violence, have you ever heard of the Black Panther Party? I definitely have, yes. Yeah, so the Black Panther Party began in Oakland, California in October of 1966. Now, Pro used local police departments to disrupt the movement of members and actually arrested some 750 members of the Black Panther Party across the United States. Uh, did they arrest them, like, on actual charges, or they just arrested them for no reason? Uh, I'm not sure about every case, <laughs> but they it was they were arrested because they were in the Black Panther Yeah. Like, yeah I I'm sure that, that there was some that they happened to have arrested on, because they had gotten them on other charges and they just happened to get them. But they definitely used local police to go after these people. Yeah, that's a good point. So one instance when the FBI actually used local authorities came in December of 1969. Now, they actually raided the Chicago apartment of chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, Fred Hampton. You ever heard of him? Uh, his name sounds really familiar. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal uh, when it happened. So it was from the tactical unit of the Cook County State Attorney's Office, and it was in conjunction with local police. Uh, and it was basically they got the informant from the FBI who set up all of this uh, this raid. Okay, so was it? Did they have a reason to raid him? Yeah, they basically just went in. From what it sounds like, they just went in to get him. So they got the warrant uh, to go to the apartment. And they had eight police officers um, on the front door and then six go around the back so that no one could exit the apartment. Seems excessive. I mean, what what was so important about this particular guy? He was the chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Oh, okay. But I'm saying, had he done anything outside of just being the chairman? Like, did he, did they have proof he ordered something? Did he attack something? Did he, or they just went Not after him? Not really that I found. They okay. just kind of went for him. Okay. All right. Hmm. Interesting. So it's a crazy story how, like, they actually went in and just opened fire. Uh, so Fred Hampton was shot once in the shoulder and twice in the head. And both Jesus. times in the head, it was point-blank rage. Ah, so like it was a fucking um, execution style. Pretty much uh, from the, like, the witnesses' take. Uh, from well, these are taken from the survivors of the the survivors in the apartment from the Black Panther Party are the ones who kind of like gave the account. Gotcha. Okay, I think I rec I think I know now where I recognize this name. It's been talked about, you know, in from from some of our my podcast friends. Um, this particular case. That's how I know it now. Um, I've heard. Uh, a little about it. it's very like you said very suspicious yeah so i'll i'll go into it just a tiny bit so the fbi informant was actually um a friend of theirs and he cooked dinner for the members inside the apartment that night but he slipped supposedly he slipped fred hampton some barbiturates that would keep him asleep during the raid now the informant actually left at 1 30 in the morning and the police raid took place a few hours later when they entered the apartment there was a man sitting on the couch with a shotgun sitting guard at the door the police came in and opened fire on him uh he actually they call it uh when someone gets shot and they squeeze the trigger it's like a death rattle he he let off a round into the roof from his shotgun gotcha. that was the only shot fired by the black panthers that night gotcha so like Basically, he was holding the shotgun, they storm in, he got scared or whatever, or even if he was shot, and then his finger spasmed or whatever, and then the gun went off, you're saying, more or less. Yeah, the gun went off, and the, it went into the roof. Gotcha. So they went past him, 
And they went into where Fred Hampton was sleeping and they literally just opened fire. And if you look at pictures of it, you can see all the bullet holes in the back of the wall where he was sleeping. So they knew exactly like which room was his from the informant. Did, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back here one second. Did you say after the raid the informant cooked him dinner? No, so the night before the raid, so the raid took place at like I think three or four in the morning. Okay. So the night before the raid, the informant cooked him dinner, but slipped him barbiturates <laughs> to, to get him to go to sleep. Okay. So he would sleep through the raid. Gotcha. I thought you were saying that after this, the raid team came in and killed these people, then he took him back to his apartment and made him a nice dinner. I was like, what the hell? I thought that's what you were uh, talking about. I'm like, why would he cook dinner for the damn SWAT team? No. Yeah. No, <laughs> okay. he didn't. He cooked Fred Hampton dinner. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's just my goof up anyway. Yeah. So Fred Hampton... From the hail of bullets that that uh, entered his bedroom, he was shot once in the shoulder. And this is when uh, Fred Hampton's friends in the Black Panther Party claim that basically the cops picked him up, took him out in the hallway, and fired twice into his head. Jesus. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, that's not standard police protocol for sure. Yeah. So that was uh, that was like their witness statement. Uh, he was actually 21 years old at the time. Jeez, that's it? Yeah, he was a real young guy. In Jeez. January 1970, a coroner's jury held an inquest and ruled the deaths of Hampton and another man killed that night, Mark Clark, to be justified homicide. Jesus. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's what I would call justified homicide. Like, literally, as far as I know... I could be wrong here, but uh, the way you can tell if someone was shot at point blank, blank range was basically that it uh, they have burn burn marks from the barrel being pushed up against wherever they're getting shot at. Well, you've got to imagine that the uh, the verdict was in before the coroner's jury was held. Oh, I know? mean, yeah, obviously, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It obviously was fake, but, yeah. you know. So um, I was going to mention also... The people who survived from the apartment were beaten and dragged outside and arrested, and they were arrested for assaulting police officers. Jesus, that's a uh, this is quite a bit of corruption here. Yeah, there was no like what they originally came into the apartment for. There was never any charges for whatever that was. Now, here's what I'm I'm I want to kind of twist this a little bit. Um, could it be possible that yes, the FBI was requesting them to raid this guy or whatever but the police during this time as we know aren't the uh aren't the cleanest fellers so could have they asked them to raid this guy and capture him or whatever but the police went way over bounds with uh police brutality oh yeah that's definitely possible so i was actually gonna say too that it's estimated that 28 members of the black panther party were actually murdered by authorities so, I mean, even if the FBI just wanted them to go in and fuck with them, the police might have killed them themselves. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to defend the FBI in this whole story, obviously, but uh, it kind of seems like that definitely could have happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's possible. The thing with this is there's not a lot of – we were talking about before. You asked if anyone was ever, like, documented to have been assassinated. There isn't that, like, the documented cases of that, but – yeah, you know, but by like a they, they wouldn't. Oh, I was gonna say they wouldn't have documented that though. No, yeah, I I was thinking about that after I asked the question. Like, I couldn't just see uh, a picture of somebody with a big fucking red X through their head and said we killed them. You know, obviously they're probably not gonna find that. No, they're not writing that shit down. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, the Chicago police, the state's attorney's office, and the FBI had to pay $1.8 million to nine defendants who sued the organizations for the wrongful death of Fred Hampton and the other man killed that night in the apartment complex. And all three of those offices had to split that $1.8 million between them. Um, I'm sorry, what year was this again? What year did the raid happen? Yeah. December 1969. 
Okay, so I'm assuming the lawsuit probably was within a few years after that. So, I mean, that, oh yeah, no, it was it was years after. Yeah, uh, I mean that's a lot of money, but I'm sure we'd much rather have those people alive than just a large sum of cash. Oh yeah, well definitely. I yeah. mean. million in the 1970s was quite a bit of money. I I wonder if they even fired the officers who did it. I doubt it. (laughs) They, I mean, it was 1969. Yeah. So if you've, I mean, there are a lot of stories about the Chicago police. Uh, If you've ever heard of the Democratic National Convention that happened in the, God, when was it? I think it was 68. That was pretty bad. Yeah. I don't doubt that one bit. The beatings that took place. That year? Uh, yeah, they uh, they don't have a great track record there, old Chicago. Yeah. So when it comes to the Black Panther Party and FBI involvement, other than causing internal and external strife, there were many efforts uh, were made to do other things besides like just arrest them. There was also, like I said before, about public opinion being turned against the party that happened a lot with the black panther party it basically vilified them and made them look like monsters in the public's eye yeah i mean that kind of seems to be the narrative uh of this entire operation yeah and it definitely weakened their position in the country and uh, stopped a larger military movement one thing it did is stop them from joining other uh, parties and organizations, which would have made them stronger. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So those were just uh, like a few examples of the COINTELPRO operations that were against civil rights organizations. Really, I mean, there was, it wasn't just civil rights organizations, but that was really seemed like what they were going after, them and communists. Later on, it was a lot of uh, anti-war movement groups also. Um, I did find some stories about them reluctantly going after the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, <laughs> reluctantly? Like I, well, that's what they made it sound like. So the FBI, like I said, is kind of like a right-wing organization. Yeah. Uh, like their members. And then the Ku Klux Klan. So they're not – it's a com, It's not – it's an anti-communist organization just like you know the FBI. So Yeah. Maybe they just figured out a bunch of rednecks couldn't really – uh conjure up much anyway yeah that's true ku klux klan was uh like really gaining gaining steam during this time because of civil rights movements though yeah yeah that's a very very good point actually i didn't even think about that what the fbi was going after the ku klux klan for was all of the like the terrorism that they were causing black people in the uh in the country so Mm. i i always forget that the clan was much, much different back then than it is today, where today it's just like, I don't know, everyone just thinks they're a bunch of dipshits, you know, or whatever. They don't do anything but probably, like, uh, smoke meth and whatever else the hell they do. Oh, well, now they're smoking meth and getting on the internet forums. That's <laughs> yeah. their big thing. <laughs> I wonder how the so, FBI uh, handles, like, internet forum groups now. Probably don't, don't even oh. care. I'm sure it's the same shit. They get uh they get that infiltration shit in there, you know. <laughs> they got a special agent who's just a troll. That's like his whole job <laughs> is just trolling people on the internet. That would be a I bet they have a whole department for that. That'd be a great <laughs> job. I'd love that. <laughs> Elite level trolls just to dis- make people argue on forums. Just to separate people, fucking. That'd be great actually. <laughs> a cool gig. Hell yeah. So like I mentioned before, uh really all of this ended uh, the night of the robbery uh, of the FBI office in Media, Pennsylvania. So the FBI had up to 200 agents working on the case, trying to find the robbers of the FBI office, but it was never solved. And the investigation was closed when the five-year statute of limitations ran out. So for five years, they had 200 agents working on that case. Jesus um, I was going to say, like, if they're doing all this shit, I can only imagine what they did uh, to those college students or whatever. But I suppose if there are so many of them, it's going to be hard to find them. Yeah. So besides the information that was leaked out uh, from the Media Pennsylvania office, really not a lot of other information has come out. During the church committee, which took place in 1975, there was some things that came out, but it was all heavily redacted. 
The United States Senate Select Committee to Study Governmental Operations with Respect to Intelligence Agencies, or otherwise known as the Church Committee, was an investigation into the abuses by the Central Intelligence Agency, National Security Agency, Federal Bureau of Investigations, and the Internal Revenue Service, who, like I mentioned before, was also doing things to fuck up these like little groups. Yeah, I mean... I could definitely see why they would use the IRS against them because you hurt people with money. That's a good way to hurt them. Oh, yeah. That's the biggest thing is funding. If you take away like one of those groups' ability to fund themselves, that's killing them right there. (laughs) So really the church committee along with um, J. Edgar Hoover's death kind of ended – COINTELPRO, like officially, they still use some of the tactics. It was just outside of that operation. So they, they probably uh, just renamed they, it, huh? Well, they kind of got leashed. Uh, oh. They were being held back after they didn't have J. Edgar Hoover to blackmail all of those politicians anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> that's pretty much what it was. My uh, So this, this episode was going to be a lot more about J. Edgar Hoover when I started, but then I found this. Uh, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, but this is really he, interesting. He had, if you ever, it's a great story. He had dirt on everyone. Like he knew who everyone was fucking. He knew where all the you know bad shit was going on. I just, I just envisioned my head after you said he's got the dirt on everybody. Do you remember that scene in True Lies where he's just sitting in, uh, or like Arnold sitting in that dark room with the the little voice amp, uh, distorter thing? Yeah. Do you remember that? It's just J. Edgar Hoover sitting in there with a dress while the politicians come in and he's telling him what to do to get dirt on him. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimate secret agent. That's what J. Edgar Hoover was. He's dressing up like prostitutes and fucking standing on street corners <laughs> yeah. waiting for senators to pick him up. That's the weird – that's the craziest thing about – there's all of these rumors about J. Edgar Hoover uh, being gay and he like – really hated homosexuals that's the it's one of those things where you're just like oh of course he's just a self-hating person you know but i could also like, see you know he obviously was such a asshole or whatever like people just started rumors about him like that's the only way they could combat him yeah that's true so, who knows it might all be fake but it, i mean it's just knowing how much of an asshole it is like that he is it's just funny to that all these people made up, you know, maybe rumors about him. But <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it. I think that'll just probably end up turning into a new bump about meme of uh, J. Edgar Hoover doing things in a dress with a little uh, Daisy hat on, with an umbrella. Yeah, fucking, yeah, like an old lady's dress, one <laughs> yeah. of his mom's dresses. That'd be, He'd be great. like he he was a, the stunt double for driving Mrs. Daisy. be hilarious so i'm just gonna end this real quick so like i said uh fbi allegedly ended their like cointel pro operations however in april 2018 the atlanta black star characterized the fbi as still engaging in cointel pro behavior by surveilling the black lives matter movement and i also found them saying that this practice, along with the imprisonment of black activists for their views, has been associated with the new FBI designation of black identity extremists. So they're still doing the same shit. It's just not COINTELPRO anymore, like you were saying. I wonder, Yeah, I mean, obviously that makes complete sense. I wonder if that means that they go after, um, what are the two uh, groups that are always fighting with each other now? Oh, the uh, alt-right and... Uh, What's that? Those fucking uh, social justice warrior assholes. They're uh, Antifa. Uh, Antifa. Antifa. And the other one has a uh, slang term, too, for their name. I don't remember what it is. But uh, well, Antifa and alt right. I thought that was what it was. I thought they had like a one word slang for the name. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But I would imagine they're watching them, too. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. They're. They're probably watching both of those groups. I mean, there's probably little groups that we don't even think about that they're still like watching who haven't done anything for years now. So, yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure the Nation of Islam is still around. I'm fairly certain. I'm certain there's Black Panthers around still. I'm sure there's all those. It's definitely a communist party. I saw that on the ballot for president. I remember that last time. Yeah, all probably 1,300 members across the United States. <laughs> they, uh, there's definitely those uh, neo-Nazi organizations from like 
the 90s and 2000s. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a lot of those, like the ones out of like the fucking bumfuck nowhere, like Montana and shit like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can definitely imagine uh, they're watching them. I'm sure there's like uh, cults and shit they're watching, too. I'm just sure of that. Oh, yeah. Those armed, uh, the revolutionary fucking militias. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those two. Yeah, I could see that. All right. Well, um, if anybody has been harassed by the FBI or the FBI wants to mail us to defend themselves, where can they do that, Phil? They can uh, hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. They can also get a hold of us through our Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast. I've also got my own uh, SD Pod Phil, and I never check it and uh, I never post anything. Cody, you've got a few. Uh, yeah, you can add my personal one at Cody Zabub on Instagram. You can add my other podcast, Bumblebutt Podcast, or if you're into true crime and all that, you can search for Bumblebutt Podcast, probably on the exact same application you're listening to this. Uh, the last thing we need you to do is to log on to iTunes and leave this show a five-star review. Uh, written preferred, just type whatever you want in there. Hit submit. It helps the show out greatly, helps us reach a broader audience, which is amazing. And if you leave us nice comments, uh, it brings our spirits up. So uh, either way, Phil, you uh, this is an amazing episode. I actually found it extremely interesting. So good job. Thank you. All right. Otherwise, guys, we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>